Okay, well, well, this morning uh, we are going to be looking at a little bit what we are planning for the season ahead. We're going to be looking into the Bible and praying that God speaks to us. Um, we're going to look at what we believe, partly what New Testament churches and how we feel God is leading us in this season. Now, the exciting thing that is on offer in the salvation of Jesus Christ is multifaceted. You are rescued from sin and death. Woo! That's something to be excited about. Uh, you are also saved into eternal life with God and a hope for the future. That's mildly enthusiastic. Um, and now you are also filled with the Holy Spirit. And you are adopted into God's family. These are good things. And if you're a Christian, your life is no longer your own. You now follow Jesus. He is your anchor. He is your king. You are now part of his covenant people, his body, the church. And if you're a Christian, you are called by God, yes. But you are also called into be part of his body, the family of God. This isn't a service that is provided to you, you come to. And then you go off and do your own thing the rest of the week and, you know, work out your own destiny. That's not what this is. This is the family of God. And we are called to contribute to Christ's body in playing our part. It says in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 16, from, the whole, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There is a world out there in need of Jesus Christ and his church. And there are lots of parts of the body. You've all got bodies, I can tell. Um, some look different than others. But we all have parts. And it is the same with the church. And part of the body is an eldership team. That's not the head, by the way. Jesus is the head. Just so we understand that. I've not been promoted to the highest office. That's not how it works. I'm just part of the body. And as an eldership team, we take our role seriously as God's under shepherds, for he is the great shepherd. And as we go into this new term, new season, whatever you want to call it, we feel God's guiding us and leading us through this. I hope you know and, want, and be encouraged by that your elders really pray about what God is saying and where he wants us to go as a church. And we're going to look at some of this this morning, some of the plans that we feel God has led us into. And we're also going to be looking at the Word of God and learning from God's Word. Now, I don't know if you've heard many sermons on Nehemiah. Who's read the book of Nehemiah? That's a reasonable percentage. It's a great book, and I would encourage you to read it. I believe there are some parallels in this book for us, and hopefully this will help us when we're thinking corporately and maybe less individually. Now, the story of Nehemiah. It, Nehemiah was written around 445 BC. It was following the exile of Judah. They'd been kicked out of their land for rebelling against God, taken to Babylon. The Persians had then taken over. And now God, in his faithfulness, has brought them back. The temple has been restored. But Nehemiah, who is in a place called Susa, gets word that the city is still in a mess. The city of Jerusalem is central to God's promise of God, and the safety of this city is crucial. 
It's a central part of the story, from Moses right through to Solomon building the temple. And then we start in Nehemiah chapter 1 about the city walls. Oh, there we go. By the way, this is evidence, this slide, that sometimes I make my own slides. And when they look better than this, that's when I don't make my own slides. But this, we want to build together. So you've seen that slide for long enough. Oh, we've changed the background. Now, um, Nehemiah 1, from 1 to 7. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Shizlev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant that was there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. But I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules you have commanded your servant, Moses. Now, Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer for the king, for the Persian king, and was greatly troubled by this. And by the way, you might think, oh, cupbearer, he's just basically a servant. This was a really a big role of, of responsibility. The king had to trust him because he tested everything that the king drank and actually held a lot of sway. And he was troubled by this. He wants to return to Jerusalem, this news that he has heard. And he calls out to God, confesses the sin of Israel, and calls out to God for help and guidance. In chapter 2, we see the king of Persia allowing Nehemiah to return. And there's this great verse in chapter 2, as Nehemiah is approaching the king, the king sees he's greatly troubled, asks him what's the matter. And in verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, he says, I pray to the God of heaven, and then he spoke. Just Nehemiah, a great example of how he's allowing God into his every day here. And he's a great example of sacrifice, Nehemiah. He leaves the comfort and wealth of Persia to enable the purposes of God's people. And walls are important. You might think, well, you know, the temple's there. Why are these walls important? Well, walls are really important in the ancient world for safety and protection. Nehemiah was deeply upset about it and the condition of his nation. And what he didn't do, he didn't just brood about it or complain, but he was active about it. He, you know, we can look at, as Christians, we can look at the world and complain about it, look at the state of it, look at the darkness in it, or we can lament maybe about the state of the church in this nation. And it's easy, isn't it, to be an armchair critic? or a backseat driver. But we all have a calling to be part of the body of Christ, to be part of this which should be the splendor of the world, his church. And when Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem, Ezra was the priest, he'd been there for about 13 years already, teaching the law, improving the spiritual condition of the people. 
Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem. He inspects the walls, sees the gates, and starts to plan carefully on this rebuilding mission. He faces opposition all the way through, of threats, of mockery. And we see at the end of chapter 2, him sharing the vision and inspiring the leaders to rebuild. And the officials, it says, from verse 16 to 18, the officials did not know where where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that, that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. And then we see this great rebuilding process start to happen in chapter 3 where where each gate is mentioned around the city and how the people all played their part in rebuilding the city wall. And similarly, the church requires every member's effort in order for the body of Christ to function effectively. We see that in uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 27, with many members playing their part. And then the rebuilding process starts. We're just going to read a couple of snippets from chapter 3. Then Eliashab, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hanel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanar built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zanoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits as far as the wall. That's verse 13. And then verse 14. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Now, as you read chapter 3, You know, it could be one of those uh, chapters you come across in, maybe you're reading your way through the Bible in one year, and you think, well, why are all these gates mentioned? What about, why all these names? You know, sometimes you think, oh, I just want to get through this. What's the point of this? But this is very important. God is wanting everyone to play their part. Everyone playing their part. These walls and gates were built for security, to boost trade and commerce within. And we see all around the city people playing their part, serving where they are. It says some rebuilt with their daughters. So you see encompassing the whole family. And I I say this on a regular basis, that the best thing you can do for your family is engage them in the mission that you're on with God. Get them involved with it. Let your kids know, your family know, whoever's living under your roof know that you are on a mission with God. We see this, it's a real collective effort that we're seeing, and it flies in the face of culture today of individuality. It, it's definitely more prominent in the West, I would say. It helped along by things like the American dream, which if you start to pick that apart is idolatry. But the world view of many is that the world is about me, or us individually, not us together. And the reason the world is here is for my flourishing. It started in Eden. 
with Adam and Eve. They decided to be their own ruler and make their own decisions separate from God. And a message that's often conveyed to you when you're younger is, the world is your oyster. Have you heard that before? The world is your oyster. Blaze your own trail. The world is yours. Make of it what you will. This is the sort of stuff that gets spouted to young people. Now, what I've become to realise as I've got older about the world is your oyster is that it isn't. The world is not your oyster. The world has some oysters, but they're not mine, and they're not yours. And in some regard, we can all suffer from this individuality. If you think, I have a destiny, then maybe you suffer from this a bit. Or if you think, we have a destiny, you, you may not. And this mindset, I believe, has slept slipped into the church, again, probably more so in the West, and Christians over the years. I've been in leadership for a reasonable amount of years now, and often people will talk about their calling or their destiny. We have a part to play, yes, you all have a part to play individually, but it is within the context of local church. If you feel called to go to a certain group of people or to help a certain group of people, it must always be done within the context of the local church. Even how we interpret scripture, we could read a promise. God's promises over me are this. Or if you think, this, and you think well, this promise is for me, then that could be that kind of individual mindset rather than this is for us. A lot of God's promises are about his people. It affects how we think about church. If you think church is an add-on to your Christian life, which is mainly about me and Jesus, you know, what church is for is to help me improve the me and Jesus bit. If it's, and if it's helping me well with that, then I'll go. And if it's not, I won't. Rather than viewing that this, the real thing going on here is Jesus and his church, the bride, that he is coming back for. And corporately thinking like that, and rather my relationship with Jesus is to draw me into this community of believers who are on fire for Jesus. I think individuality can even affect how we describe the gospel, and I am guilty of this. Because we will describe it, and sometimes you can't explain the whole thing. You need to just get to the, the nub of it, but without mentioning the church or Israel. It can become too focused on the individual. When we think about evangelism, and, and Jesus called his people and said, I will make you fishers of men. We think, right, well, that's me. I'm going to be a fisher of man with my rod. And probably in the mind of Jesus, he would be thinking about fishermen with a large net working together as a team, pull, pulling in the catch, rather than just one man and his rod. God has always wanted a people for himself. When he called Abraham, he promised Abraham the nations, not just a group of individuals. We are a covenant people called out by God, tied into, grafted into the promise of Abraham. And what we're looking at 
in our next preaching series will hopefully help us understand that. We've looked at some great books over the last few years. We went through the book of Luke. That took three and a half years. We went through the book of Ephesians. That was a whole year. And I hope what this conveys as well is that we take the word of God seriously. And we are under its authority. And the the word of God is our ultimate authority. It's what guides us and leads us and helps us think. It changes our worldview. We don't hold it up and go, well, the world's thinking this, so we're just going to take some bits out now. No, we are under its authority. We're not ashamed of what the Word of God says. Oh, well, there's some stuff that people think is offensive. Well, we're not going to change it because it is our authority. And we take it seriously. And when we look at these books sometimes, which have been really great and helpful, but if you're just looking at a passage or a book, you can sometimes lose the overarching story of God. And what we're going to do is spend some considerable time working our way through the grand narrative of Scripture, which is the overarching story. From beginning to end, we're going to look at what the whole book is about. So starting in Genesis, we're going to look at the storyline through Scripture of God's great plan of salvation. We're going to look at the great story of God by by working our way through the whole Bible, looking at the big stories as we realise what the greater story is. And the greater story is Jesus. Throughout the whole Bible, he is the one that it points to. He is the promised one. And we seek seek together to understand this main story of history, God's great rescue plan to save the world and redeem a people that have turned its back on him. These stories have changed the world. And I believe that as we're going to go through this, it will change our lives too. When we look at this greater story, we see Jesus is the greater Abraham. Jesus is the greater Isaac. He's the greater Jacob, Joseph, Moses. And we'll see that we are part of something far greater than our own little lives or our own destiny. We will be in the Old Testament for at least a year. Now, if we were to go through every book exegetically, verse by verse, it would take a little longer. But we're going to spend at least a year in the Old Testament. The first few uh, sermons, we're going to be looking at creation, at the fall of man, Cain and Abel, Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel, Abraham, Abraham, Covenant, Sodom and Gomorrah. There are going to be some really juicy things we're going to get our teeth into over these few weeks and years. One of the things we're, we're really excited about is that what is going to happen is every time we teach on this, it's going to be the same taught in kids' work. And right from, from noughts to much, much older, we are going to be looking at this. And again, we're wanting to help equip you, if you have family or uh, grandchildren or children, so you can go home and talk about this. Um, we, we have a two-year syllabus for the kids' work with videos, lessons, games, all related to the topic each week. So as you can get together and talk with your kids over Sunday lunch about this, or you can talk in your groups together about this. And I believe that this will help us from youngest to oldest to see we're all getting tied into God's greater story. And there's also a book that can help you if you have young children, the biggest story, Bible story book. 
the biggest story Bible, which is a storybook. Um, I bought this in advance. I, um, my kids have been the guinea pigs for this. And it's just a really helpful book to just read through. We often do it at bedtime and we talk about it. And You know, your kids are never too young to know and understand this stuff. My eight-year-old and I often have conversations about who, Abraham or um, Isaac being the greater, uh, Jesus being the greater Abraham or Isaac. She, she can understand this stuff. We talk about it. We believe God's led us into this, and I would encourage you to be praying for this, that God would speak to us as we go through it, that we're able to see the bigger picture, that we are a church, a family together, that isn't just full of individuals, but a people called by God. That we can work together in common purpose for God's great mission to reach and rescue people to see them saved and added into the church and the kingdom. The church is the meaning of human history, not the distinct calling of each individual. The church is the big player in God's great plan. That is why when we go back to Nehemiah, we see these individuals sacrificing for the greater good and for the bigger story. Now, you may not have caught the name or ever done a study on this person. But who knows about Malchijah? Not many. Malchijah would played a very important role in building a little bit, little bit of the wall so Israel didn't get destroyed. He didn't get the glamorous role. There was an oven gate smelling of freshly baked bread. He didn't get that. He got the dung gate the place where all the rubbish and disgusting things went through to be burnt. He rebuilt this. This wasn't Nehemiah. The story isn't Nehemiah, great leader, doing all the things. He's got the walls built. Now it's everybody playing their part. Now, can you imagine as the rolls are being dished out? Uh, um, yeah, you can do the, uh, the oven gate um, and Malachijah, would you? You can do the dung gate. Now, who wants to do uh, the bakery? Who wants to rebuild the bakery bit? Yes. Who wants to do the bit that smells of feces? Nobody. That's interesting. <laughs> Building bakery, feces fence. Nobody wants the feces fence, do they? But it was a really important role. And we need to play our part. And it, there are many things we can do half-heartedly. But serving in the church isn't one of them. And if um, Malchijah did not play his part, I just thought, that's not that important, you know. Uh, Let's just bodge it together. It's a bit smelly. I'm just going to chuck some rocks on top, paint over it, you know, that'll that'll do for a few years. Well, the likelihood is if he hadn't done it properly, it would fall down and the city would be exposed. And 2% of the wall being exposed is nearly as bad as 100%, because the enemy can get in and destroy. And there are many blocks that are to be built into the life of the local church. And uh, these these are really important, because what we're building here, the local church, as I said, should be a wonder to the world. We mustn't speak poorly of the church, either this one or others. It is the 
the glory of God that should shine through the church. We should be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. The light of the world, a place of refuge, a place of peace, a place of security. The world is going crazy, asking all sorts of crazy questions, and we have the answers. We have hope and eternal life on offer. In a continual changing world, we have the unchanging truth. To help people, to have hope, to know their identity. We have a part to play in building our own little section of the wall, whether it's through parenting or administration or fixing or putting out chairs or loving the hurt and broken, fixing up and helping the broken hearted back on their feet. The Dungate building brought about the purposes of God. And I think there are many holes right now in the wall. Sometime we've had a deficit in serving. On Sunday, and now I know it's not all about Sunday, but Sundays are significant. As God's people meet to worship and meet with God, it is where people find community. It's where people get prayed for, have revelations of God, where their kids learn about Jesus, where the lonely find friends, where the doubter finds truth and the unbeliever believes. This is important what happens. This isn't just a gathering of nice people. This is the beloved, the saints, bringing glory to their saviour. And as we gather together on a Sunday, we're reminded of this, on this day that we participate in the glorious reality that we have already entered into God's rest. And that we await the experience of the fullness of this rest in eternity with the new heavens and the new earth. So as we worship and enjoy this foretaste of eternal rest, We can then go out into the weak and into the kingdom of this world to see his kingdom come. So Sunday is important. It's not everything, but it is important. Throughout the week and on Sunday, everyone needs to play and build their part of the wall. I'm just going to have a drink. These lights are hot. Are you doing all right? It is warm. I won't be much longer, probably. Now... Across kids and welcome and tea and coffee for a Sunday, we have currently 35 people signed up. Just to give you an idea, we really need 24 just on kids' work. And some of these people will will be on two rotors. And this isn't just joining a rotor that I'm trying to talk about here. Because when you're on kids' work, you are discipling young souls to love Jesus. You are serving weary parents who will be able to worship and listen to teaching without little Johnny at their side for a few moments. Parents, you can serve one another by serving on the kids' work. Welcome and tea and coffee is about not just signing on a rotor and being a face on the door, it is making the nervous first-timer feel welcome. It's helping the new family find connection. It's remembering the name of the lonely person who started to come. It's about a friendly face to the sceptic. These are vital parts of building the wall that need to be built. These are important roles in the kingdom of God. The purposes of God come through people playing their part. The purposes of God don't just happen through what people do on this stage. 
The purposes of God aren't just one or two good evangelists. The purpose of God wasn't coming through just Nehemiah. It was through everybody playing their part. We believe that God has spoken to us as a church, that he is going to move in such a way that many, many will come to Christ. The lost and brokenhearted will find Jesus. We believe the church will have a bigger impact than just in Seven Oaks. There will be other churches and congregations that will come out of us. These are prophetic words that have come over a number of years now. Are you ready for the purposes of God? Are you ready to change from what am I doing to what are we doing to impact the world for God? Malchijah played his part, building the Dungate to see the purposes of God come about. And your role, whatever it is in this kingdom building, is important. No role more important than any other. I uh, signed up to serve on the maintenance team uh, for New Day. It's a uh, youth festival that happened this summer. 9,000 kids uh, went and worshipped there. And I signed up for the maintenance team. And then as it got closer and as I was there, I realised there was a a job that I was hoping to avoid. Um, But actually, as it... The week progressed. You cannot avoid unblocking toilets at New Day. There are lots of thousands and thousands of young people that don't know how to flush the toilet properly. And I originally, when I first started it, I thought, I really don't want to do this. But actually, I realized as I was plunging away throughout the week, I realized this was for the purpose of God and for his kingdom and for his glory that this site could be you know, sanitised and, and clean and healthy and so enable people who are serving the young people to go and worship Jesus. And hundreds of people came and met with Jesus, came to Christ for the first time. Hundreds of people got saved, but I was just trying to play my part. There are some, you know, joining up here of Dungates and unblocking toilets, but I just wanted to play my part in that. We have often, over the years, have been an elder for nearly ten, probably 10 years now, uh, six here and uh, four at a church in Bury St. Edmunds. And we often have people come and you know, start to come to the church and they'll come and speak to me and say, I, 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 I feel God wants me to speak or preach. And well, that might be the case, but uh, why don't you just start by serving in the little? And let's see how that goes. And let's see how faithful you are with that. Why don't you start by just being a friendly face on the door or doing tea and coffee? I I actually don't find it particularly impressive when people come and say that to me because I want to see their hearts. Do you know what I, I do find impressive? Are people like Steve Palmer who faithfully puts out chairs week after week and then puts away chairs. People who serve on the tea and coffee, faithfully. People who are willing to spend their time with difficult, broken people throughout the week. That is what I find most impressive. We heard Beth this morning talking about Alpha. Beth's a great example of serving. She served in the worship team, in the Alpha team, in the kids team. I mean, there was a period where she was every week, so she was on something. It's a great example to young people. You may have a role in helping hurting and broken people, visiting the lonely. And the best thing I've done this week is not 
preaching, well, you'll say, well, I know that, um, is just helping people in great need. Another way you can get involved is by giving financially. We believe it is a biblical principle that you give 10% of your income. That's actually an Old Testament covenant. And sometimes that is hard to start. And we would never encourage you to give out of debt or give that it would put you in debt. But it is about faithfully walking with Jesus. I'll speak on this at greater length another time, but I would just urge you to pray and consider to give into God's mission in Seven Oaks and see what he does. This isn't just about making the building run or, or wages it's for staff. It's an ability to serve and give to others, to support our work in bringing aid to the Ukraine churches, to the homeless, to the Seven Oaks larder that we support. We uh, sponsor, was it five kids in Kenya? Um, we support apostolic work and church planting through Newground. We support Jeremy and Laura Webb in Kenya who are uh, speaking and training up indigenous people to go and reach unreached people groups in Kenya and Somalia. We're supporting the Bentons who have planted a church in a very secular city in Berlin. This is what some of this money will go to. So start by giving something and see what God does. So this is your invitation to join in, to get involved. We'll send, up, send out some sign-up links this week or maybe speak to someone about getting involved. Joe Craner is our wonderful administrator. She is taking over the welcome team. Joe, why don't you stand up so everyone can see and know you. That's... So, hey, when, when, I, when you go and see Joe at the end, because I know you all will, to talk about what food you're going to bring next week, why don't you just say, hey, can I sign up for this? Can I sign up for the welcome team? Can... We need more people to able to help people come into the church. It's such an important role. As we build foundations together with Alpha, with this greater story series, we're going to be praying about how we reach more people. You know, when the people of Israel worked together on the walls, that it was built in 53 days. And when we work together, we will see the outworking of God's purposes in Seven Oaks and beyond. And we are not building a fort to keep us safe from the world. That's not what I'm talking about here. We are building the kingdom for all to be welcomed in. We have the message of life and death. Our saviour Jesus, God becoming man, deity clothed in flesh to pay the price for all sin. And there's a world out there saying, well, I'm a good person. I'll be okay. And we can have, sometimes have that attitude. It's okay, I'm a good person. Well, actually, we're not because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all broken God's holy law. We have all lied. We have all stolen. We have looked at another person in lust. We have taken the Lord's name in vain. It makes us liars, adulterers, murderers with we hate in our heart, blasphemers, thieves. We are all guilty when we stand before a holy God. And there is a payment that needs to be paid to the holy judge which we cannot pay or earn ourselves. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped into the courtroom. He said, I will pay the fine for humanity's sin. 
And we can be set free because it has been paid by Jesus. This is the message that we need to convey to the world. This God-man lived the perfect life, died on the cross, and the wrath of God came down on him, so it won't come down on you when you die. He has paid the debt that he didn't owe and a debt that we could never pay. Our sin had separated us from God. That's what the Bible says. But God it also says in the Bible that God doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And to repent and to turn is to turn from what you, how you are living, from what you believe, and rely solely on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He saves us from our sin when we repent and put our faith and trust in Jesus. This is complete surrender. And if you've never done this, you can come to him now. Today, it says, is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you can get right with God. You can be born again, discover new life, find true meaning, purpose, cry out to God to have mercy. Don't put off this decision. Consider this and put your trust in him. And he not only died, but he rose again, gloriously conquering sin and death. And you can know Jesus and walk with him. Haven't we heard beautifully about that this morning? Just walking with Jesus. He will hear your prayers and he will draw you into this family, this community, to be part of the new Jerusalem of God's kingdom. Zechariah said God's kingdom would be a city without walls and God's presence would be the thing that surrounded it and people from all nations would come and join this covenant people. This is powerful. This is life-changing. The world needs to hear this and we need to play our part. Where is your part of the wall? Why don't we pray? Let's stand and pray about this. The people of Israel said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. And Lord Jesus, we pray now, help us rise up and build and play our part. Let our hands be strengthened for the good work that you have prepared in advance for us. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. Lord God, will you come and speak to them? Where can they play their part in building the kingdom? The good work that he has prepared in advance for you does not cease this side of the grave. Lord God, help us play our part. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done through this church, O oh God. We want to honour you and bring glory to your name and see many, many come to you, O oh God. Thank you, Lord, that you said you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And we pray that in, in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Good. I'm going to stop. I can't stop sweating. So go and have some tea and coffee or stand outside and cool down. Um, but be blessed. Uh, and I'll see you next week.